Then turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Revelation chapter 13. I had a pastor friend in Texas who was sharing with me a, a story about one of his classes that he took when he was in seminary. And uh, in this particular class, uh, the professor was talking about philosophy and was, was speaking about it from the perspective of somebody who didn't believe in Christ. And uh, he said at one point, this, this young man towards the back of the uh, classroom stood up and he said, I just can't believe this anymore. And he left the classroom and he left seminary and the rest is history. There are those from time to time, and by the way, God has done a great work in the seminaries of our convention, and, and uh, praise God, there has been a, a conservative uh, direction there and has done great. But I tell you that story because I want you to understand that there are those in theology, in the disciplines of, of academia, there are those who fill pulpits or who teach Sunday school classes. Those who uh, are in your workplace who will deny the truth of God's Word. There are those who will present false Christs. There are those who will teach false religion. Do you have enough discernment to recognize error when it comes? Do you have enough understanding of what God teaches to respond when these times come? I believe the enemy wants to destroy you and me. The Bible says he's a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And John writes this scripture to do a couple of things, I believe, to show what the devil's main henchman, the beast, uh, and the false prophet will do when they come, but also to teach those with whom he was sharing how to recognize the devil's work, how to recognize people who don't come from God but claim to, and how to uh, have discernment to recognize Satan's work and strategy. That's what we're going to talk about this morning because I believe each and every one of us needs to know how Satan operates so that we can respond in the right way. Because let's face it, you and I are called to worship God. We are called to serve God. And so we need to be able to cut through all of the garbage that's out there and say, this is the truth of God's word. This is what I stand on. This is what I do. This is how I worship. This is who my God is. And that's so important because as we relate to God, God relates to us. He says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. He says, if you seek me uh, and you, with all your heart, you, you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. And so God has called us to be in his word and to recognize 
Satan's workers. That's the title of my message this morning, Recognizing Satan's Workers. So look with me at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1. Let's read this scripture. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads. On his horn were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? A mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months. He began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And he was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on earth will worship him, everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. If anyone has an ear, he should listen. If anyone is destined for captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. Here is the endurance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. But he also sounded like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth before people. He deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound yet lived. He was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. The one who has understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of man. His number is 666. Recognizing Satan's workers. How do you recognize Satan's workers? Well, first of all, they counterfeit God's work. They counterfeit God's work. Um, you know, they tell a story about counterfeiters uh, who counterfeit money, and they say that the way these counterfeit bills are determined is by being familiar with the real thing. They, they handle real money all of the time so that when they handle that counterfeit, they can immediately tell that it's a counterfeit. The same thing is true in the Christian life. We must be familiar with the things of God so we'll recognize the counterfeit. Well, how does he counterfeit? The work of God. Well, there is a counterfeit trinity. 
a counterfeit trinity. The, the, uh, uh, the devil is called the dragon in, uh, in the last chapter, chapter 12. And uh, he is called the dragon. And then the beast, the first beast, uh, comes. And he is killed or seems to be killed. Uh, I'm about 50-50 on how you could take it either way. Uh, and comes back to life. So it, it, either there is a literal resurrection here or there is a fake resurrection, but it convinces the world. Either way, uh, there is an imitation of the work of Jesus Christ in what the beast does. And you say, well, why do they use the name beast and dragon and all these things? Well, it is to give an image of the character of who these people are. The devil is a dragon who wants to destroy, a vicious, destructive power. The beast is an image of a ferocious, ravenous animal that wants to destroy you and devour you. This is the character of this man called the Antichrist. And then there is a second beast that comes, which uh, many call the false prophet. And this beast will point to Jesus Christ, and he will be one who uh, causes the world to worship, and not point to Jesus Christ, he'll point to the first beast to get people to worship the first beast, much like the Holy Spirit points to Jesus and glorifies Jesus, and Jesus glorifies the Father, so the second beast will glorify the first beast, and the first beast will glorify Satan, the dragon. And so uh, there is a counterfeit trinity, and then they make an idol, and uh, the second beast, or the false prophet, makes the people of the earth make this idol and uh, causes breath or a spirit, depending on how you translate it, to come into this idol and the idol will speak and so forth and so on. So it's a, it's a very uh, overt way of defying God who hates idolatry. But they will counterfeit the Trinity. They will counterfeit redemption. Uh, they will counterfeit uh, the things of God. Worship. They will require people to worship this false trinity. Uh, and so um, if you look at verse 3, uh, it says, One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but his fatal wound was healed. Uh, and then if you look at verse 11, it says, I saw another beast. Uh, he had two horns like a lamb. You know who's called the lamb in Revelation? It's Jesus Christ. And so, again, you have that. Then, uh, if you look at verse 15, he was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast. And so, again, uh, a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in, in, in a, a counterfeit way. And so, uh, they counterfeit the plan of God. Now, this is so prevalent in our culture. And by the way, did you know the Bible says that there are many antichrists that will come? Before the Antichrist, the big Antichrist comes. The spirit of Antichrist, the Bible says, is already working. So these very same things we will see today in our culture and around the world. How does the enemy counterfeit God's way? Well, one of the things the cults do is they change the definition of who Jesus is. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is an exalted angel or that he is some kind of a secondary God that is not 
as powerful as God the Father. They've redefined Jesus because the Bible says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Uh, The Mormons will uh, counterfeit the God of the Bible by uh, saying that there are multiple gods, that you yourself can become a god if you live a good enough life. And so they, they have a multiple view of multiple gods rather than one God in three persons. You see, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Three persons, one substance. Some, one way to think of it is a triangle. Three points, one triangle. So, cults will change the definition of who Jesus is. That's one way they counterfeit Christianity. Another thing they will do is they will give an alternate way to find salvation. Bill Fay uh, talks about the fact that uh, people would come to him and say, there are many ways to God. And he says, really, no. Uh, and, you know, you, you can be saved in, in all these religions and all these different things. How do you know your way is right? And he says, really, there's just two ways. There's those who believe in salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, Christians, and those who believe that you're saved through the good things that you do. There's just two ways. But see, that's what the devil will do. He'll counterfeit God's way of salvation. He'll say, if you live a good enough life, you can get to heaven. It's a lie. You and I don't have a prayer of living a good enough life because the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. The very best that we can do, the very best Roger Pugh has to offer, the very best Billy Graham has to offer, is filthiness in God's sight. There's only one way you can be saved, and that is through the grace of God expressed to us through Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died in our place so that we could be forgiven and rose again so that we could have new life and he could, we could be assured of his promise. Jesus provided a way for us to be saved. The cults will counterfeit that. Then you also have false religions, don't you? You have uh, Buddhism, and you have Hinduism, and you all the isms and, and, and so forth and so on. These are counterfeits. The devil is, is a master of counterfeits. And he has got all kinds of options to distract people from the truth of God's word. So he'll counterfeit God's plan. If you've ever talked to Jehovah's Witness, you know that they will, they will come and they'll try to talk to you about heaven at first. Why? The devil's just counterfeiting God's stuff. He doesn't have something original. He's counterfeiting what God has said. God said, hey, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you go to heaven. And so they provide an alternate way. So he counterfeits God's work. That's what um, Satan's workers do. Secondly, they oppose God's work. Okay, Some of them will counterfeit. Some will counterfeit and oppose, and some will just oppose. But these are characteristics. Look at uh, verse 6, talking about the beast. And it says, he began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And he was permitted to wage war against the saints and conquer them. Now, uh, I kind of like apologetics, and I like to, to... watch different things, and, and uh, one of the things I've noticed 
is you find an atheist, and oftentimes they're very angry, and they say kind of inflammatory things, not all of them, but, but many of them, and, and you will find an anger that's there in a, in a, they'll say, offensive things. Have you ever noticed that? I don't know if you, if you have ever uh, heard Richard Dawkins or some of these atheists that are around today. They're very hateful of the things of God. My question is, why are you so worked up if you don't believe it's true? But fact is, the devil has a hatred of the things of God. And so, there'll be blasphemies. This, the beast will blaspheme God. He'll, he'll curse him. He'll make fun of him. He'll, he'll uh, curse the things that are of God, the, the church and God's people, and he'll make fun of them. And we see that today, don't we? You see people who ridicule Christianity, who make fun of it, and who, who despise it. This is a characteristic of the enemy. Now, not everybody who makes fun of religion necessarily is of the devil, but it is a characteristic of the devil's workers that we can recognize. Also, he will make war against the saints. He will make war against the saints, and it will be given to him to overcome them. Now, this is during that seven-year tribulation period. So God will allow the devil some leeway. Now, there's a scripture in 1 John that says, Lord, children, you are born of God, and the evil one cannot touch you. Uh, but the idea that there is that he has to act, ask God's permission. If you're a child of God, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. But God does allow, from time to time, the enemy to do something in the life of one of his people to accomplish his purpose. Or he will allow something to happen for a time. I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul asked God to remove a thorn in the flesh three times. And, and Paul calls it a messenger of Satan. And I asked God three times to remove it. We don't know what it was. Some people think it was his eyesight. Some people think it was something else. But three times he asked God to remove it. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul says, I'll glory in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God allowed Satan to have an impact in Paul's life because it would make Paul a more effective servant of Christ. Now, uh, there could be different reasons why God allows it, but God will allow the beast some freedom here in this last 42 months. Now, he knows his time is short, so he's angry with that, and he is attacking the church of God. Those, and I use the church of God to refer to not the church that has been raptured out at the beginning of the seven years, but to the people that have believed in God during the time of the tribulation. He will persecute them with a, with a great hatred. Uh, but this is the work of the enemy. To oppose God's work. God's people. God's truth. Do you wonder why there's such a stir about having the Ten Commandments in a courthouse? Why is that such a big deal? Because the devil hates it. He doesn't want people to know that our country and our justice system was founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic. He doesn't want people to 
recognize the truth of God's word as something valid. So he opposes the truth of God's word. He opposes God's people. Many places around the world, Christians are being put to death just because they're in the name of Christ. The devil's operations include opposing the work of God. The church will always have opponents, sometimes from within. There are people here today who aren't saved, and I'm not thinking of anybody specific, but the reason I know that is because Jesus said that. He said in one of his parables that that God goes out and, and the seed is sown and it's the good seed, and then the devil sows false seed. And the, the wheat and the tares grow up together because the enemy has done this. You see, the devil will bring opposition to the church from within. And we hear that, don't we? Some time to time we'll hear about something going on. And we need to be very careful as God's people, too, that we don't become instruments of the devil's opposition to God's purpose. Because I think sometimes that can happen without people even realizing it. Something we want or something that we like and, and we, we uh, get on a crusade, you know. The old gossip lines are burning, you know what I'm saying? And, and we're trying to get something done that we want to be done. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves opposing the purpose of God. So, the devil seeks to oppose the purpose of God, the work of God. And then, I want you to see that Satan's workers deny God's word. They deny God's word. The second beast, like a lamb, verse 11 says, he sounded like a dragon. What's he saying there? He's saying what Satan says. Hmm, sounds kind of like a dragon. I know theologians who call themselves Christians who deny the deity of Christ. Hmm, sounds like the dragon. I know cults that teach a different Christ or a different gospel. Hmm, sounds like the dragon. False religion sounds like the dragon. Many ways to God sounds like the dragon. You see... The devil can use all different kinds of people and all different kinds of disciplines and all different kinds of walks of life to fulfill his purpose. To deny God's word. Now, there have always been those who have attacked the word of God. The devil has always had a system. We were talking about in Sunday school about Voltaire, uh, who who (laughs) said that Christianity would be dead in my lifetime. Voltaire died, and they set up a Bible society in his house. You know, it's amazing. Uh, But there have always been people throughout history who have denied God's Word, and it's the same today. You've got people who are on a crusade against the work of God, uh, who ridicule the Word of God, who say the Word of God is not trustworthy. One of the greatest finds, I think, uh, in in Christianity is, was the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, many of the arguments that have been used in the past, such as that how in the world could the the, uh, integrity of the text of Scripture be preserved 
when generation after generation after generation of copyists had copied it? Wouldn't there be so many mistakes that we couldn't trust the final product? That's the argument. But what the Dead Sea Scroll discovery showed was that they had a complete, it's actually in a, in a museum in Israel right now called the Shrine of the Book. They have a complete text of the book of Isaiah dated approximately 200 years before Christ, and they've got the whole thing, and they found that it is virtually identical to what we have today. Is that not amazing? Our God is able to preserve his word. I believe you can trust in the word of God. Did you know, you know how many manuscripts we have for the New Testament? Over 5,000. 5,000 manuscripts. If I was going to try to convict somebody of a crime, and I had three witnesses, I think that was a pretty good case. We have 5,000 witnesses to the New Testament. That's, that's amazing. But those who attack God's word will always find reasons to come against it. And Satan's plan is to deny God's word because he's been doing that ever since the garden, hadn't he? You remember what Satan said to Eve? Hath God said you shouldn't eat of this fruit? He's seeking to place a question in her mind so that she won't trust the word of God. Hath God said? Satan's workers do that. Um, I was having a conversation uh, with a lady who was uh, in a cult, and she'd come by my house with a car full of people, and uh, we were talking about Jesus, and I just said, you know, we disagree on some of the most basic things, and I said, I just really don't think it'd be real profitable to talk. And she said, well, what do you disagree with me on? I said, well, you believe Jesus isn't fully God. And uh, she, she said, well, why do you believe he is? And I, and I, t- I told her some, some verses from Hebrews and about Jesus being the radiance of his glory, of the Father's glory, the exact representation of his being, his essence. Uh, and um, <clears throat> she said, well, that's not what it means in Greek. See? Question mark. Has God said this? That's not what it means in Greek. Well, at the time, I was doing my master's degree, and about half of it was Greek. So I said, let me tell you what this means in Greek. And I began to explain to her that uh, the word for the exact representation of his essence was the word they used when they print, when they stamped the image onto a coin or when they made a statue in the perfect likeness of someone else. I said, what he's saying is, That Jesus, when you look at Jesus, you see the very essence of God. She didn't like that answer. She pulled it in reverse and peeled out of my driveway. But you see, that's what the devil does. The devil's workers will deny God's word. And I believe we need to have compassion on people like that because you never know. uh, They've been led astray. It's a sad thing. But as you, as you interact with them, recognize and notice these things and expect it because it will come. And then uh, try to, to uh, share the truth if you're open to share the truth. But um, Satan's workers deny God's word. And then uh, look, at, look at verse 14. There's, these are several ways that he does. 
try to deny God's word. This is the second beast. He performs, look at verse 13. He performs great signs, causing fire to come down from heaven to earth before people. Here again, the counterfeit. You remember Elijah calling fire from heaven, the two witnesses that fire came out and destroyed their enemies? They're imitating the work of God. But uh, also they use these signs to deceive people. Be careful who you believe on TV. Just because a miracle, some of it's fake, I think, but there may be some genuine stuff going on, but it may not be of God. Just because somebody can perform a miracle doesn't necessarily mean they're from God. Just because somebody speaks a prophecy doesn't necessarily mean they're from God. God told the Israelites, hey, unless a prophet is 100% accurate on everything, you reject him as a false prophet. Check it against the word. So, uh, don't be deceived by that. But look what he says here. Uh, Verse 14, he deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast. Telling those, again, this is the speech, the, the words he uses. Telling those who live on earth to make an image of the beast. So he is leading them astray through what he does. He is leading them astray by what he says. In denying God's word, sometimes it's done in a very subtle way in the name of Christianity. The word of God is denied by providing an alternate doctrine. Uh, So we need to be very careful with those kinds of things. This is what the devil's workers do. They deny God's word. And then they expect God's worship. They expect God's worship. Verse 15. He was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. I had a friend who used to talk about shotgun evangelism. He said, you know, where you, you want to be saved, you know, and uh, we kind of laugh about that. But, but that's exactly what the beast will do. Shotgun evangelism. Either you worship this beast or you're dead. Pretty persuasive argument, isn't it? Uh, and the Bible says that everybody except for those who know the name of Christ, those who, who have put, trusted Christ, whose names are written in the book of life, everybody will worship him. The devil has craved the worship that is due to God ever since he fell. He said, I will be like the Most High. You remember what he told Jesus? All these kingdoms of the earth that God has granted me. He doesn't say that God has granted me, but he said all the kingdoms of the earth are mine, and I give them to whomever I choose, and I'll give them to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And Jesus quoted him scripture and said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and serve him only. You see, the devil craves worship. Be careful who you worship. Did you know the Bible says that the Israelites were only supposed to worship God? Only God was to be worshipped. And by the way, that's a very strong argument for the fact that Jesus is God. Because he is worshipped in Revelation. That would be idolatry otherwise. But the devil craves this worship. And so 
uh, he will seek to get people to worship him. Now, you say, well, how does that happen? Well, it happens, I think, in the false religion. It happens in the cults. Um, just because you have a spiritual experience doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. The Mormons talk about a burning in the bosom, a spiritual experience they have. People in false religions have talked about spiritual experiences. Just because you have a spiritual experience, a quiver in your liver or goosebumps on your arm, doesn't necessarily mean you've met God. It may mean that a demonic presence has been at work in you. Say, well, that's comforting, preacher. Uh, Thank you for that information. Uh, I'm telling you that because you need to understand it. The scripture says that the idols that people worship are nothing, just wooden stone. But that there are demons that are worshipped behind these idols. See, there's a spiritual element in some of these false religions. You need to understand that because somebody, just because somebody has an experience doesn't mean they've met God. I once heard W.A. Criswell preach a message about uh, people saying, saying the devil has tricked somebody into thinking they were a believer. And they would go through all these things and experience, I gave you that experience, and I did this, and I did that, and all that. And, and, and the bottom line of it was this. God gives a promise that those who repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ will be saved. Because Jesus paid the price in his death, and he rose again. And the Bible says that when we do that, we based not on how we feel, sometimes a feeling comes with it. Not based on experience, although experience will come with it sometimes, but based sheerly on the promise of God Almighty. God said it, and we put our trust in it. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. To as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God. It's the promise of God. We put our trust in that promise, and yes, there is a witness of the Spirit that comes as we walk with God but, but that is not what our faith rests upon. Our faith rests upon the promise of God. So, the devil seeks God's worship, and, and those who are his workers seek God's worship. Have you ever thought about this? When you have a liberal theologian, what is he asking you to do? He comes up with a theory of why God's word isn't right. Okay? He is asking you to put your trust in him rather than in God. Or the science professor. Which, by the way, one of Satan's favorite ways of deceiving people is to give one side of the story. <laughs> There are all kinds of information out there in philosophy, in science, in history, you name it, that support the claims of Christianity. But oftentimes, there'll be a one-sided view given 
and we are expected to put our trust in what that individual says rather than to put our trust in God. It's a subtle form of worship. Some people's God is their intellect. They worship what they think. Well, I know God's word says this, but this is what I think. What are you trusting in? It's worship. So, Satan's workers, how do you recognize them? They counterfeit God's plan. They deny God's word. They oppose God's people. And they expect God's worship. How do you counteract all this? You need to spend time in this book. You need to know it. You need to understand its contents more and more in your Christian walk and life. You should know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will make you free. Free of the deception of the enemy as his deceptions are exposed through God's Word. You recognize that those who claim the name of Christ may not necessarily be of God. That's important. You recognize that God says, listen, by their fruits you shall know them. You claim to be of God, what's your moral life like? Is the fruit of God's Spirit evident in your life? If somebody is telling you that they have heard from God or had a dream or had a vision, and they're expecting you to respond to what they've said, you need to look at their life. Many, many of the people that we watch on television, were we to know their private life, and I know because I've talked to some people who, who know these people, are as ungodly as they can be in private life. Look at their life and be careful about those that you can't observe their life. Recognize that you need to be careful. What do they say about Jesus? Look at what they say about Jesus. Do they say that Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person? Do they say that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone? If they don't, you don't need to pay attention to them. Do they deny that there is one God manifest in three persons? They deny that. You don't need to listen to them. You say, well, preacher, why is that important? It's important because God says, only worship me. And if these things you don't line up, you need to reject the information that's being given to you and recognize that whether knowingly or unknowingly, that person is doing the work of Satan. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the fact that you give us information to help us understand not only what's going to happen in the future, but what is happening today. 
And Lord, that you've given us warnings and you've given us guidance and you've given us explanation. And you've given us evidence, Lord, through your word and through other things that support your word, that there's truth that can set us free. Lord, help us to be people of the book. Help us to cling to the the truths of the faith. And Lord, help us not to be intimidated by those who'd say, how narrow-minded, but help us, Father, to recognize that Jesus made the way narrow. And if the way wasn't narrow, we, we wouldn't need Jesus to die. But I thank you so much that he did. Lord, help us respond to you this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've been going through some circumstances in your life as a believer. And God is calling you to trust him in those circumstances. You know, here is the faith and perseverance of the, of the saints. When times are hard, when times are difficult, when you undergo persecution for the sake of the Lord, you need to continue to trust in Him. Continue to walk with Him. Maybe you need to come to this altar this morning and say, Lord, forgive me for not trusting you in my circumstances. And, and I ask for the Holy Spirit to trust in you through me so that I can honor you with my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. If so, you are in Satan's kingdom. You say, well, I didn't choose to be in Satan's kingdom. I didn't make that choice. I don't understand myself to be in Satan's kingdom. Well, the Bible says that you are by default because Satan is allowed to be the God of this age. And so if you don't know Jesus, you're in his kingdom by default. Someone who wants to destroy you is there. You need to recognize that and, and know that Jesus has provided a way for you to enter his kingdom through the blood of Jesus. He died in your place and rose again. And the Bible says if you'll choose to repent or turn from your sin in your own way to put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you'll be forgiven and you'll be given eternal life based on the promise of God. You'll be put in Christ's kingdom. We're in His hands as believers. If you'd like to put your trust in Christ this morning. I'm going to be standing here at the front to invite you to come. And uh, coming forward doesn't save you, but uh, the Bible says that when we repent and trust in Christ, it, that we are saved. As we express that to God in prayer, as we call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. And I'd love to, to share a, a prayer with you and, and to pray with you here, uh, quietly here at the front. And uh, you can leave this place knowing where you're going to spend eternity based on the promise of God. Some of you may need to take a, a second step, a step of, of baptism, a step of obedience. And once you are saved, then you need to take that step of baptism as a testimony to God's people that you have chosen to die to your sin your own way of life and to follow Jesus, to be raised to walk in newness of life. Others of you may sense that this is where God has called you to be in, in this church, and, and you need to join this church. And, uh, and make that official. Uh, maybe God has touched your heart in some, some area that I've not even spoken of, but 
God's been dealing with you and need to come to this altar. You come and do what God's calling you to do this morning. Will you come? Let's stand. Would you come now?